Welcome everyone to our featured podcast on thought leadership with Dr. Ray McKinley. Dr. McKinley is an expert on leadership and character development. Let's join the conversation now. Hello, everyone. This is Ray McKinley. Welcome to Ride the Elephant Today, our weekly podcast. The last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what causes us to do what we do. And Brian's joining us again today. And Brian, we've been looking at the need for approval, our desire for recognition and praise, our wanting to be seen by others in a certain way. And today, I'd like to expand on that a little bit and look at addressing the difference between motivation and inspiration. When you think of the word motivation and think of the word inspiration, do you see them as the same or do you just see them as different? Motivation and inspiration, I think, seem different, but they can have a similar effect in that they give a person cause. So, To distinguish the two, I would say that motivation is more like what you're after or what is driving you, and you're motivated by maybe conversations that you're having with a coach. You're motivated by desire to maybe be noticed by someone or be in a relationship with someone. You're motivated to acquire a certain possession, whether it's a car or a house or a toy of some kind. And I feel like inspiration is different. Inspiration is related to the word spirit. And spirit, to me, is always related to energy and breathing. So like our main source of energy before food and drink is oxygen. Right. And so we inspire, we breathe in oxygen and that gives us energy. So someone who's inspired has energy and whatever they're doing, they're doing it because it energizes them. So to me, inspiration is a little bit different than motivation. Motivations can change. Motivations can be attained. And then once you're sated, you realize you want the next thing. Whereas inspiration is more ideas-driven, more spiritual, more coming from a place of excitement or energy or imagination. And I see inspiration as being more consistent over time. Once someone is inspired by something, that inspiration can stay with them their whole lives. I hope I made sense in distinguishing those two terms. But both of them give a person cause to act, and they both kind of drive a person's behavior. Yeah, they do. And I think when I say, well, if both seem to drive a person's behavior, then what would be the reason to even differentiate the two words? And I think it's important to recognize that because sometimes we're motivated by what others expect and what we think would please others. Then is that a stronger cause for us to act? Or is something that's coming from within us, in our spirit, from within our soul, that is more of a driving force? And I think sometimes these two are conflated. Sometimes we're inspired to do something, 
it's in our spirit to do something, but then we're pulled away from doing what's in our spirit or what's trying to inspire us. We are then pulled away by the need to meet the expectations of other people. I think we see this as we're growing up and as we're maturing from children and young adults to adulthood. There's a tug of war between what is actually motivating us and what are the causes of our motivation and what is actually inspiring us. Sometimes we get confused on which one we're going to react to and respond to. Are we going to please the parents, for example, or please the teachers or please the boss? There's a reason to do that at times. However, are we constantly letting go of what really deep down inside is the deeper reason for us to do what we do? And I think it's important that we recognize that and begin to start having that conversation. It's important to recognize what is actually causing us to do what we do. Is it motivation or is it inspiration? So if the audience can listen to this for a minute and just sit there and say, okay, what effect would this have if I made a decision to discern whether I was being motivated or being inspired? See, motivation is typically what others expect. It's what pleases others. It's meaning their approval. I seek the approval of others, and I know I get it when I get their recognition and acknowledgement and praise. And of course, then I've said, okay, fine, I've achieved what I wanted to achieve. I've won their approval, and I've earned their praise. And that's really basically what we're saying to ourselves is we're looking to other people for our direction, for our cause of action. When we make a decision, we oftentimes have a desire to conform to what other people are doing. We have a tendency to get other people's opinion, and we oftentimes canvass the opinions of many other people before we make a decision. We know this is happening because we see ourselves doing it, but we also can know it's happening because we use words like I should, or I'm supposed to, I need to, I have to. But when you start starting your sentences off with those words, we oftentimes will say, Well, that's what motivates me. You know, we can look at that and say, that's motivation based on how I'm using and talking about the things I need to do and have to do and should do. With inspiration, it's different. It comes from what you believe deep down inside. People who are inspired really critically think through what their core beliefs are. They don't necessarily just try to mimic the beliefs of other people, or if they have been mimicking the beliefs of other people, They start thinking about it. And one of the ways we break the pattern of depending on being motivated by other people, we need to start critically thinking what we truly do believe. The other thing that we can do is we need to clarify our values, what's most important. Most of us don't do a values clarification. Most of us just do what we think other people want us to do. And what's most important to other people then becomes what is most important to us. Instead of us really looking at it and saying, what do I deep down inside really value? What's most important to me? Because we don't really step back and do a values clarification, we often find we catch ourselves just continuously meeting the expectation of other people, wanting their approval, wanting their praise, and conforming to the will of others. To stop that, we need to begin to start looking at what's most important to us. And we need to evaluate and create our predefined principles. And we know we're doing that when we use prefaces similar to, I get to, 
I will, I am. Instead of saying I should, I would say I get to. Instead of saying I'm supposed to, I'd say I will. It speaks to a different commitment, a different level of the reason we respond the way we do. One is motivation, one is inspiration. See, the inspired mind is different. You mentioned inspiration is the spirit within you. I always think of it as listening to the song that is written on your heart. It is hearing the harmony that resonates in your soul. Inspiration emanates from a place deep down inside. It's a place of faith and trust, courage and hope. It's a place where personally held convictions are stored in our mind. It's a place where we critically think at a high level. It's not what feels right or what we have always done. It's not our habit. It's not conforming to the parents' wishes and peer pressure or going along with the messaging of the media, the movies, and television shows. And it's not applying someone else's dogma to your life where you find the right answers to please other people. Because what happens when we are consistently looking for answers from other people, we waver to the whims of circumstances instead of being grounded to something that we believe at the core level. So to me, an inspired mind is a totally different thing than being motivated. Yeah. I feel like motivated is kind of a given. Like you're bombarded with motivation the whole time from birth to death. Yes. And the thing about motivations is that it's not always like the pursuit of happiness. More often, it's actually the desire to escape from pain. So motivation is moving toward things or away from things, whereas inspiration, at least from my connotation of inspiration, is that you're not moving toward anything or away from anything. You just have something bubbling up within, right? And I have often used this example before in conversation related to the idea of inspiration, and that is the movie Pocahontas, the 90s Disney cartoon. And there's a song in there where she's singing about painting with all the colors of the wind. And that is what I think of when I think of inspiration. The movie is completely historically inaccurate, but it is presenting a historical concept of there are certain cultures that are very motivation-heavy and conformity-heavy. And in the Western world, we have been very wealth-motivated and about conformity. Conformity to religion, conformity to the rules of your household, conformity to the laws of the land, and... I think that all those things have a place in life. They can be beneficial. But inspiration, what Pocahontas is thinking about, is finding something within you and seeing how that special kernel within you is related and connected to the whole universe, the whole world and all of nature. And there's a spiritual awakening around seeing the beauty in nature. And that is inspiring. And there is a spiritual awakening involved in 
connecting with one's self, growing in one's self-esteem, being self-affirming, being humble. And that mindset is an inspired mindset. And it's more of a spiritual journey. And the argument is that being motivated by the material world is an entanglement. It's a distraction. And it is healthier to find inspiration and find out what energizes you. What is the spirit that is in you? What do you want to get to know about the loved ones in your life? How can you connect with them spiritually instead of being entangled in the rat race? Yes. Well, that is a challenge. As you were talking, I was thinking about the inspired mind needs to be almost like there needs to be a door opening up into it, this big, beautiful place on the other side of where we're constantly being, that we have to actually walk through that door. And we have to recognize that the door is there. We have to recognize that it needs to be open. And we have to feel safe enough to go in and trust ourselves and have faith that being in a place of inspiration is a more fulfilling and more joyous place to be than a place where we don't go through that door. And what keeps us from going through that door is meeting the expectations of our world. We've decided that we're going to meet the expectations of our parents. We've decided we're going to meet the expectations of our friends. We've decided we're going to meet the expectations of what society has defined as success or the right thing to do or the way to be. Today, we're in this woke culture of anything outside of what the social narrative is of where we're supposed to be and where we're supposed to think and what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to respond to the situations that they have defined as important keeps us away and prevents us from going through that door where inspiration can occur. One of the things that I find is it's very difficult to encourage someone who's stuck in a place where they're living out the expectations of their world and they're caught in a, I have to, I should, I must, I need to. They're bitter about it. They're not sure why. And it's because we haven't really been able to direct them to that place. You know, I had a conversation with someone yesterday and that conversation was heartfelt. They were very bitter and angry and stuck in a place where they felt that they were being labeled and judged and they were resisting the expectations and the narrative that the other family members had toward him. And they were very unhappy, very hurt. He said, what can I do to change this narrative that's going on in my family that's causing me to feel distance, being almost excluded or excised out of the family because I'm coming from a different place than they are. And they aren't happy that I'm not in a place where they would like me to be. And it's frustrating and it's harmful. After I finished the call, I said, I'm going to think about it and give some consideration of what you're talking about and get back with them. So what would you say to a person who is caught in this trap 
of not being able to experience the inspiration from inside because they're so entrapped by their old habits, old beliefs, not just the beliefs that they have, but the beliefs they have in their world around them. How do they break that pattern and move into a different place? Well, that's a heavy question. It's been on my mind since the conversation last night. It ties into what we're talking about right now. And when you were describing the experience of moving into the inspired world, it just came to me that this is where so many people are struggling. So how do we move into that place where we see all the colors of the rainbow and live a more inspired life? Yeah, you got to learn to paint with all the colors of the wind. It's a Disney classic, man. Yeah, and everything's black and white. You're painting with black and white, not with the colors of the wind. Right. Well, and the irony of it is that you can't see the wind. Yes. You, what? Paint the colors of the wind? The wind doesn't have any colors. Mm-hmm. You don't see the wind, but you feel it. And you only see it when there's something traveling on it. And this is the nature of spiritual things. Spiritual things are not seen directly. They're seen incidentally. And that's maybe a different conversation. I would recommend to this person or any person who is struggling in particular feeling that they are motivated to stay away from a group of people because they have a belief that that group of people is rejecting them or is rejecting their belief or their position. I would say write down I am statements, which is funny because I feel like that's something that you would maybe advise someone to do. And I would say, write down some I am statements. Say, this is what I am. And then maybe say, this is what I am not. And this is what I am going to be. And this is what I am not going to be. Maybe write down some beliefs that you believe are different from the people who you're feeling motivated to stay away from. And as you bring those to mind, I think you can start to say, okay, well, These things are all really important to me, but if it's really important for me to be in relationship with this group of people because they're family, because I love them, or whatever reason, then maybe I need to say I am able to be quiet. If I have a disagreement, instead of arguing, I am quiet. Someone says something that bothers me, I am am quiet. It's none of my business what other people think of me, right? That would be something to write down. You know, I'm in relationships with a ton of people who are all totally different. I mean, I have close friends that are conspiracy theorists crazy. A lot of time I'm amused by conversations with them, hearing where they're coming from. And I'm friends with just all different kinds of people. And they all see differently. And sometimes I get scared about people being in the same room with each other and just knowing that, you know, this person's going to open their big mouth and surely that'll create friction. But that's not my problem to solve. And just because I disagree with this person on a certain level doesn't mean that we can't be in relationship. And I have some great friendships with people who we know that we would vehemently disagree on certain issues, but we choose to be friends anyway. 
And that's an I am statement on both those people's parts. And with a number of people, I have said to them, you know, I don't need to get into it right now, but I have a slightly different opinion about this. But I am so interested in being in relationship with you. I just want to let you know that that's always going to be my priority. I am a relationship guy. So if it's cool with you, let's make an agreement that when we're together, we're going to be friends. We're not going to try and solve the world's problems. I'm not going to try and convert you to my religion. I don't want you converting me to your political party. We're just going to hang out and have a nice time. Or we're just going to get together and work on this project and focus on that. Let all the rest of that stuff either wait or not. But let's focus on the relationship first and foremost. I think that's the best I can do. Well, you know, when it comes to family, my experiences with all the issues that come up and so the challenges and the bitterness that might exist, the anger that might exist, the gossip that might exist, the disagreements that might exist, the history that just doesn't want to go away still keeps coming back more and more again. When it comes to family, the I am statements are critical. It's critical to begin to say, I will and I am. It's more important to me that I stay in relationship than it is for me to be right. I think of some core beliefs that have worked for the inspired mind. And I think belief one, the inspired mind has, is everyone is doing the best they can with the prevailing awareness they have at the time. Basically, what I'm saying there is, in spite of all the situations that occurred in the past, they were really doing the best they could with the awareness they had. I know it's hard for you to imagine that, but they just didn't know any better. They didn't have the understanding that they needed to have, and they may never have that understanding, but they may have that understanding now or be in a place where they could have a better understanding. So we can lament something negative about our personal history for a lifetime, or we can say, hey, everyone was doing the best they could with the prevailing awareness they had at the time, even me. I was doing the best I could at the time. And I wasn't necessarily a piece of cake to be around. I was part of this mischief. You know, we all have parts in the problems that exist in families. We all have a role. And you know what? If each of us say, hey, I was doing the best I could at that time, and you were doing the best you could at that time, it's more important now that we're just together. We don't need to change each other. We just need to love each other. And I think that would be an important part of what you're saying. And it ties directly into my number one belief that I write about in the book, Ride the Elephant, A Journey to Success. It's the number one belief that I have when it comes to sorting out and living a more inspired mind. So I appreciate your synthesis of that, Brian, because I think it's right on. One of the best decisions I ever made in my life was I will not be converting anybody ever. I decided long ago I am not going to convert anybody to my worldview. I just let it go. I decided well, that when I was away at college, I said, I'm done trying to convert people. I'm not going to yeah. convert people to see it my way. I'm not going to convert people to see it any other way. I'm just going to let people be. I really retired from the idea that it is important to convert people a better way of thinking. So I just kind of go with the flow 
have a conversation, ask questions, be encouraging. But I gave up trying to convert people. And that was one of the best decisions I've ever made. It fits into another belief I have written down here. And it's my opinion about others is none of their business. And their opinions about me is none of my business. I think that's a very strong belief to have. And it doesn't mean you never listen to anybody's opinion. But unless I'm invited in, I will refrain from sharing my critiques and my opinions. I have no need to value judge. I have no need to gossip. I have no need to contemplate and mull over opinions. I ignore the uninvited opinions of others, and I resist projecting mine. And that, to me, has been a belief which has led to a core principle and purposeful intention. And you heard the I will and the I am statements in that belief. And I think you and I just said the same thing with two different ways of saying it. But it accomplishes what we're talking about here today, finding ourselves being more in a place of inspiration and in the spirit of what causes us to do what we do instead of being motivated by the expectations of other people. So another one I have, and this is the one you have done a lecture on this, and and it's one of my favorite lectures. And my belief is life is a series of opportunities. And I mean by that is I believe that no matter what happens in my life, mistakes, failures, heartaches, pain, and suffering, I look for the good in my folly and the misfortune. And I see bad things that have happened as opportunities to begin again and begin relationships again. And one of the things that I do, and you have said already, you are going to begin again. These relationships that have struggled And you'll go into them differently. Instead of going into them with an expectation, going into them with a hope and a wish that this person could be different, going into it with, I'm right, they're wrong. See, life is a series of opportunities and our chance is to make a shift out of that. Yep, and that happens every second. So even in the most infuriating situation, you can respond in a way that says, I'm going to show my team or I'm going to show my children that I am not easily angered. So this thing that I have every reason to be angry about, anybody else on the planet would be angry about it. I'm going to show my team that I don't get angry about these kinds of things. And every little moment is an opportunity to show people your worth, to show people your character qualities. Well, you know, you mentioned that, and that jumps right into my belief of what I can do to transition from this being manipulated by the motivations of others and more inspired by my own beliefs, values, and principles. And this is the belief. As long as my actions are rooted in good character, it will produce the best outcome, even when I can't see how. See, when I believe the end justifies the means, I will beg, borrow, and steal to get what I want. There's a lot of people who say, you know, if you aren't cheating, you aren't trying. And changing the rules as we go along to get what I want is not the kind of person I want to be. And that's not the kind of person I want to represent to my children, to the people I work with. When your actions are rooted in good character, it means that you're being an honest, good person, a person who exhibits integrity and is true to your word through your actions. How do you feel about that, Brian, as a restatement of what you were talking about? It's great. I love it. Where did you get that? 
the first time I read that or a variation of that was in a book about character and achieving true success in a family. And I think it's the definition of the character word faith. It's somewhat close to this. And they had the word faith in that book. And their definition of the word faith was something along that line that actions rooted in good character produce the best outcome even when you can't see how. That's a really novel and wonderful perspective on the concept of faith. Faith is a concept that is tragically polluted. But you're saying that faith could just be confidence that if I do the right thing, if I act in character, that will yield a good outcome, even when I can't see how, even when it, right. against all odds, seems like I'm going to get burned no matter what. If I just have faith in my character, it's going to be okay. Doing the right thing no matter what the cost is another way of saying it. Doing the right thing. No matter what it costs. Yeah. Instead of saying, I can't do the right thing because it's going to cost me too much. No, you do the right thing no matter what. Even if you're going to lose. Even if you lose, even if you have a consequence, you get punished, you get something taken away, you lose your job, you do the right thing, no matter what. We don't see that much today, but no. it's very important. Another one I have, Brian, is this ties into what we've said already. It's another belief I had, and it's a prideful heart is a sign of my self-righteousness. I will not boast and try to look better than in other people's eyes. Humility is the tenet of my being. And what I mean by that is what I recognized when I was prideful, when I started to have feelings, when people looked at me and I would say, look at me, aren't I wonderful? Or they'd say something that I really did well and my chest would puff out and I'd start feeling taller, you know, and I'm thinking, yeah, aren't I great? Look at these people. They thought how wonderful I was. And when I start saying that, I recognize, wait, that's pretty prideful. I'm boasting within. I might not be boasting without. I might not be saying anything to other people, but I'm boasting within. And I just felt that when I was having a prideful heart, I was looking more for how other people approved of me, how other people praised me and gave me accolades and acknowledged my success as they would define it. And then I felt good about it. That feeling good about it caught my attention. And I started to say, wait a minute, am I feeling good about it because I have a prideful heart? And I had to learn to discern what it was to have feelings of pridefulness versus feelings of humility. And with humility, it's different feeling because when someone gives you that kind of praise and that kind of recognition, I start thinking, wow, thank you, Dad. If it wasn't for you teaching me these lessons of life, I wouldn't have been able to sit here right now and hear what I just heard. Or thank you, God. If it wasn't for you being in my life, I wouldn't be able to hear this right now that I'm hearing. Humility is giving the credit to other people and recognizing that that has come from other sources than just your greatness. So... A prideful heart was a sign of my self-righteousness, and I saw that as a red flag that I needed to check in with and recognize and say, 
is this really me or is this really my upbringing? Was this really the people I'm working with in the office that have made a difference? Is it really my faith? Is it really God who has made the difference for me? And I think that's been very important for me to have that recognition. It seems that to acquire everything that motivated you can make you feel pretty good about yourself, pretty prideful. Look what I did. And as I mentioned before, being inspired has nothing to do with impressing anybody or feeling that pride. I feel like inspiration is unfettered by all that. It's its own thing happening within you. And it's the kind of internal energy flow that causes the Mother Teresas of the world to do what they do. Exactly. Yeah. Zero pride there. That feeling of humility that you have makes you want to do more of that coming from within your spirit. Yeah, motivations are so fleeting. Yes. Pride, very fleeting. Yes. So those are some things that we can do to paint all the colors of the wind. Yeah. The other one I want to throw out before we run out of time here is, and I think you're going to like this one, and I think you can see my transition in this over time. I will reject when others project their dogma, and I will not allow their dogma to control and manipulate me. Instead, I will critically think their dogma through and evaluate it as it relates to my core convictions. Boy, do I hear a lot of dogma. You know why I hear dogma so well, and it becomes so clear to me when it's dogma, when it rings true to me, and I say, boy, that's dogma. I can smell it out so far away. I was an expert at projecting dogma in my life earlier, and I stopped it, and I realized what it was costing me to project dogma. And now that I do it less, I really see it when other people project their dogma. And it really is something that I say, okay, I'm not going to buy into what you just said. I'm not going to buy into what your beliefs, values, and principles are just because I want to conform to you. I'm going to recognize it as dogma, and it will always stay as dogma, your comments to me, until I critically think that dogma through and evaluate it for myself and measure it up against my core convictions. And if it matches my core convictions and I agree with it, it's no longer dogma to me. And I will never call it dogma to you because you and I believe the same thing. But I'll see it as dogma until I do my assessment of it. I definitely have seen that. And it's interesting because it doesn't have to be religious dogma. No. It can just be house rules. These are the house rules, and that's the dogma. And dogma can take a lot of different shapes and forms. And I'm trying to remember, I think it's Stephen Jobs said, living with dogma is living with the results of other people's thinking. Yes. And it's just like a pet. Like a dog enjoys dogma. A dog just wants simple rules to live by to please you because he's a dog. And that's what dogs do. A child might do well with dogma. Just tell me what to do. But it doesn't take long. A prefrontal cortex does not like dogma. A prefrontal cortex is designed to critically think, and it does not enjoy just accepting the results of other people's thinking. It wants more. It wants to do some thinking on its own. And that self-discovery process is something everybody goes through, and we go through this time in our life where we reject the dogma that we were raised with. 
And I have watched you transition in the way that it used to be that you had a personality of, uh, and it's a good thing mom's not on the phone call because I'm sure she would chime in here, but it was my way or the highway on everything. And now it's more or less a, hey, choose for yourself this day whom you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it's more or less like, hey, this is what I'm going to do with my principles, and I'm here for you. You go and develop your own principles. If you want to adopt mine, great, awesome. But you got to go and you got to figure out your own principles. I'm not going to project my principles onto you anymore. You've changed. You do that differently. Yeah, I do. And this is the gift I want to give the listener and the gift I attempted to do in the book is that it's a transition that's been transformational and it's been much better to be in the place I am now than where I was. And I think the final belief I have that I really would encourage people to consider is prefaces matter. The words we use to start our sentences matter. They define us. And it's important that you recognize them falling off your lips and check in and say, is this really what I want to be saying right now? So when you start your sentence that I have to, or I need to, or I'm supposed to, or I should, I am expected to, when those words fall off my lips or I hear them fall off other people's lips, I check in with them and say, tell me more about that. You said that you should. Who is shooting on you? Is that something you're shooting on yourself or are you shooting because it's an expectation that other people have of you? I'm supposed to. Well, who said you're supposed to? I think it's important. What I can do as a gift in my relationships with people is ask them about those prefaces and say, all right, tell me more about that. Do you really mean you have to or is this something you really want to do and you will do and you get to do and you're excited about doing and you're inspired about doing? Because if you're inspired to do what you're doing, you're not going to say, I have to. You're not going to say, I should. You're not going to say, I'm supposed to. Inspiration has different lexicon and different ways to start your sentences when you start talking about it than the motivation does. How do you feel about that last belief we're going to talk about today, Brian? I feel good about it. I feel like that is a very beneficial thought process to go through. Yes. And do you see how it could begin a transition for you as you just have that awareness to make that change? Yeah. For sure. I would encourage everyone to really look back at these beliefs that Brian and I have been talking about and how those beliefs came out of our personal histories of having things not be the way we wanted them to be to having them be more the way we wanted them to be. And I think everyone can make that decision for themselves to either continue to be motivated by their world outside what's expected of them so they conform to the will of others. And they're really operating on the beliefs, values, and principles of other people instead of their core beliefs, values, and principles. So you find yourself buying into the dogma, the beliefs, values, and principles of other people. Check in with it and say, do I really, really, truly believe that? And then ask yourself, what is most important to me? What are my values? What is the hierarchy of what is most important? And make sure you're putting what's most important to you at the top of your list. 
and make sure you're acting out based on what's most important to you, not on what's most important to your friend, not on what's most important to your parent, not what is most important to what society is saying, but what's most important to you. And then write your predefined principles that begin with healthy prefaces and you'll see things change. And it'll be exciting for you, and I'm excited for you to watch that happen. So, Brian, I want to thank you for joining me today for Ride the Elephant Today. And join me again next week for another podcast. And everyone have a great week. Dr. Ray McKinley is a speaker, author, and coach. In his new book, Ride the Elephant, The Journey to True Success, Dr. McKinley addresses the crisis in personal leadership and what you can do about it. Thank you for joining us today. Your feedback is important to us, and we'd like to hear from you. Email your comments and questions to ray at raymckinley.com. Join us next week for another informative podcast with Dr. Ray McKinley. Have a great week.